I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. On this episode of Newt's World... As we gather with family and friends later this week for the Thanksgiving holiday, I wanted to devote an episode to the uniquely American tradition and history of Thanksgiving. When we imagine the first Thanksgiving, we think of the Mayflower pilgrims and Native Americans gathered together at a long table outside celebrating with a feast. In fact, what we consider the first Thanksgiving was celebrated in October 1621, after the pilgrims' first harvest. The feast lasted for three days and included games and all-around good cheer. It was attended by 90 Wapanoag warriors and 53 pilgrims, according to pilgrim Edward Winslow's account. They gathered together to give thanks to the Lord for the bounty of the harvest and the rich natural resources of this American continent. Today's Thanksgiving still reflects the American values of the holiday as the pilgrims originally celebrated in 1621. Hospitality, time with friends and family, bountiful food, and generosity to those in need. I'm pleased to welcome as my guest, Melanie Kirkpatrick, Senior Fellow at the Hudson Institute and author of Thanksgiving, The Holiday at the Heart of the American Experience. First of all, what led you to write Thanksgiving, the holiday at the heart of the American experience? I was in Manhattan downtown at the, near the Wall Street Journal offices on the day that the Twin Towers were attacked. And like most New Yorkers, like most Americans, that had a profound effect on me. 
one of the things I did was start thinking more deeply about what it meant to be an American. And I decided to read a book I'd never read before, which was William Bradford's Journal of Plymouth Plantation. And I was really blown away by it. And some of the challenges that the pilgrims faced when they came to this continent and had to think about were similar to what we Americans were thinking about in the wake of the September 11th attack. As Thanksgiving got closer, I read ahead to the passage on the first Thanksgiving in Plymouth in 1621, and I was struck by how similar it was to the holiday we celebrate today. And that got me interested in the holiday, and I began researching it. I wrote a couple of op-eds on different aspects of the holiday for the Wall Street Journal, where I was working. And then when I retired from the journal, I started writing books and the history of Thanksgiving, which nobody had really done before, was at the top of my list. I'm fascinated for a couple of reasons. One is... It's always struck me that one of the keys to Thanksgiving is that you have to have something to give thanks for, and that there's a real connectivity emotionally. And if you go back to the very beginning, but if, if you look at Washington or you look at Lincoln or what have you, these are folks who really are thankful. It's not just a good day to eat turkey and watch football, but in fact, it was a day where they truly were giving thanks. Why don't you start us, if you don't mind, at the very beginning with what happened in Massachusetts and how the original Thanksgiving started. There are two eyewitness accounts of the first Thanksgiving, so you can extrapolate from them. And the first thing I'll note is that the word Thanksgiving doesn't appear in either of those first-person accounts. For the pilgrims, the feast that we think of as the first Thanksgiving was not a Thanksgiving day. It was more of a harvest festival. And of course, though, the pilgrims gave thanks because they were champions at giving thanks. They were giving thanks in every aspect of their life lives. It was a three-day festival, and we know that at some point during the three days, the 90 Indian Braves appeared. And I've always thought that's interesting, because that was twice the number of pilgrims that were left, and of course, some of the pilgrims were women and children. One of the things we read is that they shot off their arms as a kind of uh, sport, you know, um, or entertainment during uh, the three days, and I've often wondered if that perhaps was intended as a signal to their Native American neighbors that even though they were small in number, they were well prepared to fight off any possible attack. But anyhow, the Native Americans were led by a very brilliant and I think generous king by the name of Massasoit. He had struck a peace treaty with the English settlers. And as they arrived for the Harvest Festival, we don't know whether they were invited or whether they just arrived. Another thing we learn from Winslow is that the Wampanoag Indians brought five deer, five, you know, dead deer, which they had shot. And, you know, you think about it. What do you do if you're invited to a Thanksgiving feast today? You ask, what can I bring? So those five deer would have served the group for several days. I actually, in writing this, consulted a friend of mine who, I live in New England, who is a hunter. And he described to me uh, how much each deer, how many meals it would provide. And back then, they would have used and eaten part of the parts of the deer that we don't eat today. 
So if you want to eat what the pilgrims ate, you have to start with venison. Turkey is also mentioned. There were big flocks of wild turkey and flocks of, of other fowl that the two talk about. And corn and beans would have been on the menu. The Wampanoan taught the pilgrims how to plant those vegetables using fish as fertilizer. Then there were native plants that they might well have learned how to use, again, thanks to the Native Americans. And those include Jerusalem artichokes, garlic, Concord grapes, walnuts and chestnuts, and even cranberries. Though it's unlikely that cranberries were on the menu because if you've ever tasted one cranberry, you know that it's really sour. You don't want to eat a second one. And the pilgrims did not have sugar with them. Cranberry sauce recipes came later in the century. Pumpkins could have been on the menu, too, though not as pie. Pumpkins were native to the area, and, of course, the English knew how to make pie, but they didn't have wheat, so pumpkin pie didn't appear until later. That said, they could very well have hollowed out a pumpkin and cooked it over a fire of some sort. So it's possible that something akin to a pumpkin pie was on the menu. The pilgrims had many things to be thankful for at that first Thanksgiving. Of course, they were thankful to have arrived in the New World after a difficult journey. They were also thankful to have survived. About half the original pilgrims died in the first winter due to cold and poor nutrition and disease that's unclear what it was that struck after they had been there about only two weeks. So they were thankful for their survival. They were also thankful for the bounty of the harvest, and that was, of course, due in part to the bounty of the forests and the sea right near them, but also thanks to the help of the Native Americans. I don't think the pilgrims would have survived that first winter if it had not been for the help of the Native Americans. And finally, I would say another great accomplishment for which they were deeply grateful was peace with the Native people. Now, that wouldn't last, and as the decades went by, there would be terrible wars and lots of deaths on both sides. But at the time of the first Thanksgiving, the two people were living in harmony. And I like to think that that image points the way to the multicultural people we've become. As I understand it, it did not become an automatic every year holiday at that point. That's exactly right. The first day of Thanksgiving that the pilgrims celebrated officially was two years later, and it was in July, hardly a season we think of as Thanksgiving season. There had been a drought that had lasted from May. Their crops were dying, and it rained. So they gave thanks for the rain and called a day of thanksgiving. And those early days of thanksgiving were spent in worship for the most part. And I'm talking now about the early 17th century. But there would be sometimes a meal after the thanksgiving services. And there is the earliest example I could discover of Thanksgiving generosity and Thanksgiving hospitality was from the 1630s in Situate, Massachusetts, where there was a call for a Thanksgiving. And 
after which the richer sort were asked to take care of the poorer sort. So that tradition of hospitality and generosity does go back a long way. As the 17th century progressed, Thanksgiving days varied from colony to colony. Connecticut was the first to call for a colony-wide day of general Thanksgiving, and that was in 1639. Now, a general Thanksgiving is different from the kinds of Thanksgivings that were usually celebrated before that. Before that, communities or churches would call a Thanksgiving for a specific event, such as a victory over Native Americans in a military skirmish or a rain that ended a drought, that kind of specific event. But in 1639, Connecticut called for a day of general Thanksgiving, which was the time for people to come together in worship and give thanks for God's many blessings. This was a controversial idea, which is hard to believe in the context of the 21st century, but some people argued that having a day of general Thanksgiving would mean that people would take gratitude for granted. However, if there were specific blessings for which to give thanks, that would make them more deeply grateful. They actually had an argument about this, and did the general Thanksgiving people finally win? They did. By the end of the 17th century, general Thanksgiving were the norm. They were usually followed by a large meal with family and friends. That, of course, continued into the 18th century, where we begin to read more about the Thanksgiving celebrations themselves and the kinds of food that were eaten. At some point, every colony would name a Thanksgiving day, and that would be proclaimed by the governor of the colony. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, 
fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. In my understanding, it starts in New England, but does it spread rapidly to all of the colonies? In the 17th and 18th centuries, colonies would hold their own Thanksgivings, but it was more from a religious tradition than from a New England tradition. Though as the country expanded, especially in the 19th century, New Englanders took the holiday with them to the frontier, and that's how the holiday spread. By the time we get to the American Revolution, I gather it's pretty widespread to have Thanksgiving. Do we have any notion that it existed anywhere else outside what would become the United States? Certainly no country has a tradition other than the United States that's been associated with many events in our history. The Thanksgiving tradition was followed by the Continental Congress, and it issued several days of Thanksgiving during the Revolutionary War. But it was Washington who was the first to call a national Thanksgiving for America as a nation. So up until then, it had been mostly provincial. And suddenly you have a nationwide, all 13 colonies, and later all 13 states. Right. It went from Thanksgivings called and celebrated by individual churches and individual communities to then being celebrated in an individual colony and eventually during the Revolutionary War, and then when we became a country, celebrated nationally. And in Washington's case, doesn't he tie it directly to the notion that our achievements really were providential, that you could not understand how we had defeated the greatest empire in the world without awareness that God had a hand in it? That's exactly right. I should say that Washington mentions God very prominently in his Thanksgiving proclamations, and every president since Lincoln has followed that example. God is very much present in those Thanksgiving proclamations. The idea of a Thanksgiving proclamation was controversial in 1789. Congress had a very vigorous debate over whether the president had the authority to do that. There were two objections. One was that he didn't have the authority under the Constitution, and the authority to call a Thanksgiving belonged to the governor of the individual states, not to the president of the United States. And the second objection was that it was a religious holiday, and the president shouldn't have anything to do with it. But in the end, uh, there was a vote, it passed, and a delegation went to Washington and asked him to declare a Thanksgiving Day. And he did a very 
smart and wonderful thing at that point. He issued the proclamation, but he didn't order anybody to celebrate the day. Instead, he sent a copy to every governor and requested them to ask their people to celebrate on the day that he had designated. And of course, every governor was only too happy to comply, and the the governors then issued their own proclamations, and the country celebrated as a whole. You then get the great trauma of the Civil War. You again get Lincoln coming back with Thanksgiving being a very important date to him. And there's an interesting story there about a woman who deserves to be better known than she is. And her name was Sarah Joseph Hale. She was a New Englander, and she was editor of the most popular magazine of the pre-Civil War period, Godey's Ladies Book. And for 20-some years, she had been pressing a campaign to have a national Thanksgiving because even though Thanksgiving was now being celebrated in most states and in most parts of the country, it was all on different days. And she thought that if we had a national Thanksgiving, if Americans were celebrating on the same day, that it would help to preserve the Union, as well as be a unifying force in American culture. She thought that Americans still were not unified as a culture, that we had won the war, the Revolutionary War, but we hadn't developed our own distinct culture. And Thanksgiving, she saw as part of doing that. Anyhow, she wrote to four or five presidents during that period, and she was probably the best-known woman in America in the pre-Civil War period. And they all replied, no, we're not going to do it. When the 1860s came around, she wrote to Lincoln, of course. And Lincoln, inspired by her letter, issued a proclamation in 1863. The timing of that proclamation was interesting, too, because it came a couple of months after the Battle of Gettysburg. And by that point, I believe it was clearer that the Union was going to win. And so Lincoln's proclamation has beautiful language in it, and it points the way to the post-war period when Americans can come together again. It has very lyrical, lovely language. Lincoln is using Thanksgiving as a holiday to bring us together. Then you get Franklin Roosevelt, who sort of plays around with the date. What was he trying to achieve? Franklin Roosevelt in the 1930s had the idea that if he made the date of Thanksgiving a week earlier, that Americans would have more time to shop for the Christmas holidays, and that would give the economy a boost. Now, this was a pretty dumb economic idea. Americans weren't going to spend more money if they had an extra week for the simple fact that they didn't have the money to spend. But uh, be that as it may, he called a press conference announcing that he was changing the date of Thanksgiving, and the country erupted. FDR had a good sense of how things would play among the public, but here he failed completely. And so the country split. Because there was no law designating the date of Thanksgiving, it was just a tradition, the president really didn't have any authority here. So half the states decided to stick with the traditional day of Thanksgiving, which was the last Thursday of November. And the other half decided to go with Roosevelt's date. 
there was the Democratic Thanksgiving and the Republican Thanksgiving, as they would call it. And sometimes they even referred to the Democratic Thanksgiving as Franksgiving after Roosevelt himself. This caused an uproar throughout the country, and it made it difficult for a lot of people. And my mother was an example of that. She was in college in Boston, where they, of course, celebrated the traditional date of Thanksgiving. But she lived in Buffalo in New York State, Roosevelt State, where they celebrated the Democratic Thanksgiving. And she couldn't go home for Thanksgiving the four years she was in college. In 1941, it was clear that the experiment was a failure. The economy had not improved. People didn't spend more money during the holiday shopping season. And so Congress passed a resolution making Thanksgiving the fourth Thursday of the month. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. One of the most famous paintings to celebrate Thanksgiving was Norman Rockwell's Freedom from Want, which was the third of the four Freedom series of oil paintings, which were inspired by Roosevelt's 1941 State of the Union Address. Why do you think that particular painting has had such longevity, and what does it tell us about American culture? a couple of things. One is it tells us about the prosperity of America. 
you look at that picture, which shows people around the Thanksgiving table, and Grandma is presenting an enormous turkey to the family. She's about to set it on the table, and Grandpa's going to carve it. The American people were creative enough to create this vibrant economy that would produce such a meal. And by the way, when that picture was on display in the Soviet Union in the 50s or 60s, people there thought it was an exaggeration, that it was not possible to have a meal like this, and that it was just American propaganda. Another thing the painting tells us is it talks about American togetherness, the importance of family, the fact that we have this tradition that can trace its origins back almost 400 years. It's a statement about that. It's a link to the past as well. There are two images from the second half of the 19th century about Thanksgiving that I think are just marvelous. One is a very famous lithograph by Currier and Ives titled Home to Thanksgiving. And it's a farm scene, and it shows a family arriving at the farmhouse. It's a young family, and the grandmother and the grandfather have come out to greet them. It's someplace in New England, unspecified, and there is so much snow there, which is a hoot, because, you know, in the middle of the 19th century, it was the end of the Little Ice Age, and there was so much more snow on Thanksgiving than there typically is today. We still get snow here in New England on Thanksgiving, but certainly not every year, and this painting looks more like a New England Christmas today than it does like a New England Thanksgiving. The second piece of art that I think speaks volumes about the meaning of Thanksgiving is a cartoon titled Uncle Sam's Thanksgiving Dinner. And it was published in 1869, and it shows Uncle Sam presiding over a large Thanksgiving table. He's carving the turkey. And then you start looking at the people around the table, and they're from all parts of the world. There is a Native American wearing a feather. There is a Spanish woman wearing a mantilla on her head, a Muslim man with a fez on his head, an African-American grouping, and a Chinese man with a long queue down his back. And the idea of the cartoon is that here we are, all Americans, having made it to this country, and this is how we celebrate together. This is an image of what the spirit of America is, what the essence of America is. And the cartoonist, by the way, was an immigrant from Germany. The cartoon also carries a political message. There's a banner on one wall that reads 15th Amendment, and it hangs over the portrait of President Grant. And the cartoonist, Thomas Nast, was, by putting this in his cartoon, he was endorsing the ratification of a proposed constitutional amendment that would guarantee the voting rights of all Americans, regardless of race. Just as all Americans have a right to sit at the Thanksgiving table, Nast was trying to say, they also have a right to share in the full benefits of being a citizen, including voting. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast 
is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. I was intrigued because you described teaching at a recent immigrant high school where they all kind of got it. What was that experience like? Oh, this was a wonderful experience for me. I went to Newcomers High School in Queens, New York, that is in New York City, and it's a high school for recent immigrants. The day I was there to talk about Thanksgiving, there were students from, I think, 60 countries, and they spoke dozens of languages. They all were about to celebrate their first or second Thanksgiving. And those kids had a better understanding of the meaning of the holiday than some American kids, I think. For example, when we were discussing the holiday, a boy from Tibet spoke up. Now, Tibet has not existed as a country since 1950 when China took it over. He nonetheless talked about being from Tibet, where he was not allowed to practice his religion, which was the Buddhism of the Dalai Lama. So he said he was like one of the pilgrims. He came to this country seeking religious freedom. And then a girl spoke up, and she was from Egypt. She was a Copt, which is an ancient form of Christianity. And she said that her family came to America, too, for freedom of religion. Then some other kids started talking about how their families came to America and the reasons that they came here. One spoke about how the father of the family had a better job here and the family could live better here and get better education. And this girl, too, felt a kinship with the pilgrims for that reason. They were all looking forward to their first Thanksgiving, and for them it was a rite of passage in becoming an American and in becoming 
embedded in their new culture. I think that's true, though, and has been true since the waves of immigrants began coming here in the mid-19th century. As you point out in the very title of your book, Thanksgiving is one of the things that makes us different, and that there is kind of an American uniqueness, that Thanksgiving is a piece of that. From your perspective, would that be an accurate statement that you see Thanksgiving as a distinct part of a tradition that's different from what a lot of other people have? Oh, absolutely. The statement that I think describes Thanksgiving best of all is one by the late historian Samuel Eliot Morrison, who in the 1930s wrote that the pilgrims are the spiritual ancestors of all Americans, whatever their stock, race, or creed. And that is a statement that should hold true today, but is increasingly being questioned today as we become a lot more divisive and there's a greater focus on what divides us rather than what unites us. Thanksgiving helps to bring us together. Think about gratitude to God and or gratitude if you don't. But it's also a patriotic holiday, in my view. It links us to our past and our history where Thanksgiving played a role. And every person has a seat at the Thanksgiving table. It also suggests American generosity. That's another aspect of our national character that helps define us. I think American generosity is most evident around Thanksgiving. It's become the beginning of the giving season. And it's not just money. It's volunteerism. You think about the people who volunteer on Thanksgiving Day or around Thanksgiving at homeless shelters or elsewhere. Just about every American is included in the holiday, whether they are soldiers stationed overseas, whether they're the homeless. People look out for their fellow Americans on Thanksgiving. I really appreciate you doing this. Well, thank you. And let me be the first to wish you and Calista a happy Thanksgiving. Oh, well, thank you very much. Thank you to my guest, Melanie Kirkpatrick. You can get a link to order her book, Thanksgiving, The Holiday at the Heart of the American Experience, on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan. Our producer is Rebecca Howell, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.